days ahead. What if COVID had leveled something that caused us to realize we're in a moment of grace and favor to see the Lord move mightily across this land? And there was, a, there was also a conversation happening where 26 countries across Europe are doing the same and we're coming together, including, um, I meant to say to Stephen Roof actually, including a guy for Albania. The Lord is doing something quite powerful. I realize for many these are challenging times, but just to be in that space and realize what the Lord is doing. So we'd massively appreciate your prayers, I think, for the vineyard as well as we work out what's that going to look like? What if we said, uh, rather than doing our thing, we did what the Lord is doing and we did his thing and we saw a rapid and sudden increase of, of church planting and reaching into local communities with the gospel like never before. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? And so it feels like we're in, a, we're in quite a unique and remarkable moment of favor relationally just to come together and ask. So we'd appreciate your prayers, but also just to say how excited. I mean, that you always want to be part of something bigger than yourself, but don't you want to be part of the thing that the Lord is, is doing as well? I've been... Um, just to come back into this space and time, we've been doing a series called Known to be Grown. This is week two. If you, la if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back on it. Um, but before we jump in, there's just a few things I feel like I want to say every week. And I probably haven't said it for a while. So can I just say it now? Because I want to remind us of something. If, if there's a new person stood or sat on their own, that is a crisis. Honestly, friends, friends can wait, but a new person cannot wait. And we, we meet a new person, and we then introduce them to another person. It's kind of how it passes on. It allows them to be part of the thing that we're doing. It's the culture that we want to build. If, I don't know if you've ever been to a new church. I've been to new churches on my own, and it is frightening. As much as I love you all, if, you, if you're new here, it can be really quite a daunting thing. And we've got to remember those moments. It's partly why we give people the welcome flyer. I mean, there's a few dates on it that are helpful, but partly give them something so they can hold it in their hands so that they've got something to look at and focus in on when it's like, who do I talk to? I don't know anyone in this space. If this is your first week, welcome. Hopefully somebody's going to talk to you in that way and acknowledge that and introduce you to someone else. If this is your second week, honestly, can I say last week you came as a guest, this week you, you may as well come as a host. You know, the best way to meet people, to know people, to be known is to get on a team and is to join a small group. You weren't designed or created to be on the fringe of people out of relationship. You were designed to be in relationship, to be known, to be grown. And we need to know you to, to grow you. So if this is your second week, your, your week of favor and grace was last week, come and be part of what the Lord is doing. Also, I'd say to all of us, plan and prepare to have lunch with people a couple of times a month on a Sunday, more times than that, but have people around. I'd, I'd encourage you as well, come 15 minutes earlier than you planned, leave 15 minutes later than you planned. It's how you'll get to know people. It's how we, we build community together because church isn't an event to attend. It's a family to be part of, and we get to create and be part of that culture, empowered by the Holy Spirit and um, spurred on by him. It's the environment, ultimately, that, that changes lives. And this isn't just a, a family to be part of. This is a family that is on a mission. And we want to be built up, equipped, encouraged, and spurred on to do exactly that. So I hope that's helpful for some of you just to hear that, to be reminded of that. But let's just jump into this Known to be Grown series, part two. It's based on the book of Corinthians. Paul wrote some letters to the church in Corinth because some stuff was going on that needed to be spoken into. And sometimes we've got to have hard conversations 
to release life. We've got to have hard conversations with ourselves and among ourselves to release the fullness of what God has for us, to see the kingdom extended among us. If, if this is your first week in an environment like this, can I just say something before I jump in? Please, please come again. I don't know if any of you have read ahead from what I spoke on last week, but if you read the next couple of chapters of Corinthians that we're probably going to look at today, it's, it's kind of quite interesting um, where we're going to go here because the Bible is, is a book that is absolutely unique. It's actually a collection of books. It's 66 books, and um, it's got the most remarkable quality in the, 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 the whole thing has this complete unity from beginning to end, even though it's written by loads of different authors in different places and different spaces with different backgrounds and upbringings over many centuries. But it covers hundreds of highly, highly controversial subjects. And not all of it is that easy to read. And it, at times it's going to, and it needs to, challenge us. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So at times it's going to challenge us. At times it's going to rebuke us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So if this, some of this series slightly offends your mind or challenges you, hopefully it's going to reveal your heart because remember we want to be people that have hard conversations to release life and so we need environments that are very very high in grace and love for each other but also environments that are high in truth we also need to have an incredibly high bar for living because God calls us to holiness but not so high that we can't get over it right that's prepared, isn't it? Let me, let me just start by telling you three stories, if I can, before we jump into the passage. Here's the first one. I was in the fire service living in Essex. Steph lived at the time in Wokingham. She was going to, to uni in Leeds, and there's a huge distance between those three locations. And I clocked up over 96,000 miles in my little green Peugeot 306 in the three years that she was at uni. I'll never forget the day she first went to uni. And um, I, I'm kind of up there. She's meeting all these new people. And I'm thinking, like, where am I going to stay when I go and visit Steph? I can't afford a place accommodation. And obviously, I couldn't sleep on the floor of her accommodation in her uni room because Steph had eyes and she wasn't going to be able to resist me. <laughs> so that, that, decision, that decision right there was kind of massive because we were having to choose obedience to the kingdom regardless of the cost. You see, but l surely the Lord would bless us. So I contact the local vineyard church, and I didn't know any of them, but I, this guy, I say basically, guys, is there anyone in this church who could put me up while I come and visit my girlfriend while she's at uni? Uh, has anyone got a spare room that would, would house me? And amazingly, this dear, dear couple in the church said they had a, a room that I could use, and it was an incredible moment. It was like an answer 
to prayer. They weren't going to charge me for it. And so I drove to meet them. And my best description of the guy when I met him is a cross between like an old school head teacher and some kind of military sergeant major. It was absolutely frightening. I think every church has a guy like that where you're like, you look at him and you're like, I wouldn't fight you. But he looked like he wanted to fight me. Anyway, my granddad was this roughy, tufty like Yorkshireman, but this guy, had, like, he would have battered him. And um, so anyway, that was kind of only part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that he lived the other side of the Yorkshire Dales, which in theory meant nothing until I drove it. And it literally was the most remote part of the planet ever. It was, like, it was like, am I in Antarctica? Where even are we? And anyway, it took me three hours with traffic and a bit of snow who even knew it was snowing there because it wasn't snowing where I was, to get to this guy. And I was thinking, actually, I could pretty much, I know some of you are law-abiding, but I was working out at that age. I could nearly get back to Wessex and back in that time. And anyway, I was, I, I probably understating this, I was utterly depressed. Like, I'm trying to do the obedient thing here, Lord. Anyway, so to not... Um, offend him covertly I did a bit of networking around that church and I found a few other students who said I could sleep on their sofa which was a bit of a downgrade to a room but I'm like three hours sofa yeah let's take it anyway um basically I went round to view said sofa and um no no one in that house I'm not trying to offend any students but no one in that house had washed up in like a long long time it was like oh my goodness mate it wasn't it wasn't like bad it was like really bad now some of you are like, Paul, you like to tell stories and sometimes you exaggerate. Yes, 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 but not this, okay? So no lie, no exaggeration, 100% factual truth. I'm stood chatting to this student and I can see said sofa behind him. And as we're chatting, a rat runs out from behind it, okay? And so I didn't say yes or no because I didn't know whether to commit to the sergeant major school teacher or to the student because I was like, I don't really have another option. And I go back to where Steph lived and she's in a house with about... 20 people at that time and they're kind of all getting to know each other and they're sat in the kitchen area and I get back there and they're all asking me where have I been for like five hours in the in the day what have I been up to and a bit glum I kind of tell them the story now firstly this was quite a significant conversation to drop in the room like this this is kind of a big thing to say to 20 people that you don't know why on earth would we ever do that why didn't I just sleep on Steph's floor? And we have to kind of lightly explain that, you know, she's got eyes and she's not easily going to be able to resist me. And their, their reaction to that was, was, was kind of actually quite fascinating because their reaction was, well, why don't we take it in turns between all of us to share rooms so that you can have our rooms? So some of the girls would share so I could have a room of my own. And... Um, and if I was with one of the guys, I would just sleep on the floor of their room. It, it was kind of quite wild. And I spent the next year staying up till one, two, three, sometimes four in the morning with most of the guys, um, just chatting with them about Jesus and about why we would make some of the decisions that we would make. It was incredibly precious times. I'd like to say we were always talking about Jesus. If I'm really honest, sometimes we were just playing monkey ball, banana mania on the um, GameCube. And uh, the real point of the illustration is probably this. Kids nowadays don't know they're born with these Nintendo Switches. Honestly, Monkey Ball <laughs> Banana Mania is phenomenal. Most of you have never even played it. You're like, what are you on about? I will never get that season of my life back, but it was, it was great. Anyway, the next year, a load of them are, are planning on getting a house together, as you do when you move out of halls. And they look for a place that would work for me. 
Now, what are the chances that they would find a four-story house and on the top floor there would be a cupboard that would fit the m that would that would literally be the size of a mattress. Now it couldn't be rented out because it was too small to be a room, but it could be mine for free. And it literally, you're like just a mattress, I'm like literally just a mattress, nothing else, a mattress. And it was quite hard to get even the mattress in the room. But anyway, I had to force the door open, kind of crushing the mattress to get in. Now I'm, I'm kind of not exaggerating, to get out of the room, which I didn't think through when I got in the room, what you had to do is you had to pull the door open, slightly crushing the mattress, whilst also jumping in the air so that you could crush the mattress, whilst trying to slip out of the thing. It was, it was, it was quite a fine art, actually, that I mastered by the end of a couple of years. But anyway, there's also, I remember it straight ahead of me, top of the, this room, there was no light in the room because it was a cupboard, but um, top of the room there was a couple of bricks missing where it's just like outside. So we're like Leeds temperatures, it was freezing. But also in the morning, these little birds would just sit on there just <laughs> singing sweet love songs to me, of like reminding me that I was in my own room. But anyway, it was perfect. It was, it was phenomenal provision, some would say, in some denominator, provision of the Lord. Anyway, that's, that's the first story. Second story is this, in our, in our previous church, a young couple uh, wanted to get more involved in the life of the church and spend a year of their life giving three days a week to serve the church. And it was part of a discipleship year thing that um, Steph and I used to lead. And it didn't take long in the, in the conversation of chatting with them about it to work out that the way they were living didn't quite align with what we would believe the Bible teaches on a number of things. And uh, at least some wisdom in their relationship was, was probably slightly lacking. They weren't yet married, but they were living together. Now, I'm not sure I need to fill in too much of the detail because this, this is a PG environment, isn't it? So I think you can work out what was going on. But anyway, after a chat that we had with them, we said that we would dearly, dearly, dearly love for them to do the year. We believed in them so much and we could see so much of the Lord on them but equally we, we would need to kind of see a bit of a shift in the way they were living for that to be possible but we would leave it with them as to what they wanted to do but please know this if nothing else we love you and we're for you and we champion and we cheer on what the Lord is doing with you anyway the very next day they want to meet up with us and they decided that the the very reason they wanted to do this do the year was because they wanted to step into a place of obedience and all that God had for them. And actually that was going to mean some significant shifts in some of their lifestyle and behavior, but they wanted to do the year and they wanted to make those choices. I really deeply love stories like that, where the Lord changes lives. Anyway, that's the second story. The, the third story is this. I've got two daughters, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And my dearest nine-year-old, when she was much younger in her earlier years of, of schooling, this young lad, which for the sake of the story, let's call him Dave, right? Dave said to my very precious daughter, who was, I don't know, she was about five at the time, he said to her on Valentine's Day, in earshot of me, at the end of the school day in the playground, that he'd got a Valentine's card for her. Now, thankfully, no card actually emerged, but even still, I was growling. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I was growling at the conversation. I was growling at this <laughs> little lad, Dave, and I was actually growling at his parents as well. I just found myself growling. And uh, my, my fists were like clenching up in my pockets and my body was tense, and I kept this watchful eye on Dave for weeks, honestly. I was like, 
was Dave, and I was trying to time the school run walk so that they went in at different times and all sorts. And no one else paid any attention to anything, and they all moved on, but I didn't move on. And I paid close attention to it for quite a while. And there's overprotective parents, and then there's me. There's, there's kind of like, I'm the person I think that they would create a documentary on about, oh, the, the overprotective parent. And um, anyway, I don't actually think it's overprotective at all. I th just think everyone else needs to see the world through the correct lens and way of thinking. But I, I fully acknowledge, I need to say this to you, because some of you were questioning me afterwards. I fully acknowledge it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse for them, and it's going to get worse for me. And... Um, as they get older, I probably won't. I'll be probably become more immature in my responses. But anyway, listen, there's three, there's three stories, okay? The first is the rat behind the sofa and us having to make lifestyle choices because Steph's got eyes and she can't resist me. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the second one is this. There's a, there's a couple who, are, who were, were living together and decided to, to make changes to that because they felt it was no longer right as they stood before the Lord. And then there's me, who has two daughters, who some would say, um, I would say quite rightly, but overprotective. Let's just jump into the Bible. Some of you are like, quick, please get into the Bible. Where are we going? It says this. I'm going to read from my notes rather than from the Bible, because I'm going to jump around a bit. But it says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Verse 2, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. When you dig in here, there's kind of two inseparable things. The close relationship between the cross and the close relationship it has with the spirit. God's wisdom is revealed in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that witness is revealed through the ministry of the spirit. Verse 10, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. We sang this morning about the simple gospel. That's kind of it. It's really simple. Anyway, when Paul rocks up in Corinth, he makes this quite conscious and deliberate and determined decision to abandon all natural and worldly wisdom and to concentrate on Jesus and Jesus alone and him crucified. And that meant that any transformation that took place in the lives of the people around him rested solely, not on human and earthly wisdom and insight, but on the effort and the power of God in their lives. Before we do anything else, before we say anything else, would we just stick our eyes back onto Jesus? I, I don't trust the culture. I don't trust hearsay. I don't trust the, oh, that's just the way it is. That's the way I've lived my life. That's just how it is because that's how it is. I don't trust the, I've, I've kind of just got used to it being this way, so I'm going to continue like that. I trust Jesus Christ not only as my saviour, but through the cross also as the Lord of my life. I trust the Father who created me and who knows me and who has the best for me. And if at times I think I know best, actually I choose not to because I know that he does know best. I choose not to think that I know best because history and my track record tells me otherwise. But that's not why I trust it. I trust it because I trust him because I trust him as the source and I try 
to be a good father who looks out for the best interests of my children and at times that makes my responses emotional and circumstantial and it varies the way that I parent. At times I might growl at others on Valentine's Day but this isn't on a human level. This isn't just being overprotective. I trust my perfect father. I trust my father in heaven and I trust his ways are not my ways and his ways are far above even though sometimes I can't understand or explain them. But I do know he's good. And good isn't just what he does. Good is who he is. And every other way of thinking and behaving and understanding and living needs to fall behind the priority and the purpose and the realization that decided that I will forget everything except Jesus Christ and the one who was crucified. That has to be the backdrop of our understanding of this. And then we roll on into chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous for one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Man, that's heavy. When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world, as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. I need, and I speak to myself, to get off the milk and to get onto the solid food, and I need to grow up, and I need to have hard conversations that are going to release life. Here's, here's the thing about Steph having eyes and not being able to resist me. Actually, just to say, regardless of resistance, is also a perception thing. You know, you, you can't say one thing and do another thing, but let's be honest, for how long? Stick your head in the lion's den and you are going to get bitten. But regardless of what everyone would have, what we would have said, everybody would have fought differently. And so our resolve had to be protect ourselves, not only from ourselves, but also to cause the gospel to spread. We had to make wise choices, not because he's a mean father, but because he loves us and he wants the, the best for us. But here's the, here's the thing I really wanted to say about it. I look back in hindsight and I, I want to say this. Praise God that Steph had the wisdom and the backbone to say that needed to be how it was. Praise God that she was in a church and a family and a community that would speak truth into her life. Praise God that she was in a place where she was known to be grown. Praise God that she had accountable discipleship-based relationships and that she had a small group of people around her to cause her to live out and stand on the promises of God. Because at that time in my life, I would say I was kind of just on milk and I wasn't really ready for anything stronger. I just kind of been honest with you. I think I would have known it as an underlying truth, but I'm not sure I would have inconvenienced myself with it. I think I would have found ways to justify it. I, I want to say this, be known and be grown and get onto solid food because we've got to grow up before we get old. Verse 3, it lists a few things. It says this, for if you're still controlled by your sinful nature, 
You are jealous for one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? 1 Corinthians 4.14. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Can I, can I say that about this series? I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved brothers and sisters. You know the role of a loving, protective father. Paul writes that as a, as a founding father of the church in Corinth, that the people that he loves and that he longs for the best for. So let's, let's see in our lives what the father wants to speak over us and write into us because it's not condemnation. Ultimately, its purpose is freedom and love. Verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come to you with a rod to punish you or should I come to you with love and a gentle spirit? We've often said many, many times, it's not about just being biblically literate. It's about being biblically obedient. We can't just know stuff. We have to do something about it and to live it out and to live out what we know. Paul's fatherly heart was deeply, deeply hurt, I think, wounded by what he was seeing. And he longed for them to live by and under the power of the Holy Spirit. I've often reflected on what was it, was it looked like to grow? Do you, do, you want, do you want the rod to be punished or do you want people to come to you with love and a gentle spirit? Personally, my deepest preference for myself is love and a gentle spirit. But for that to be fruit bearing and a reality in my life, I've got to surely be open. I've got to be longing for the spirit of God, the voice of those who know me to be regularly speaking life and truth into my life and for me to come, therefore, to the fullness of all that he has for me. I'm just going to bypass chapter 5, but honestly, read chapter 5. It's a big deal. We don't have time for all of this, but let me pick up chapter 6, verse 18. It's kind of weaving some of the sh stories that I shared at the start, but it says this, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Man alive, that is truth, isn't it? Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Some, some of you, you've got to learn to run. Not just run, but make wise choices that will keep you in a healthy place in the first place. Run from sexual sin. Don't, don't convince yourself it's not a thing, it's a thing. This is a big thing. This is a culture that is hyper, hyper sexualized. Now, there's, there's something else that I want to say that maybe is a bit complicated to say, but having done pastoral ministry for a bit of time, Steph and I would say that we've walked into far too many conversations that ring the reverse alarm bell. Okay, I guess on, on, on the one hand, I'm, I'm probably saying to some of you guys, don't have sex and run from it. I also need to say to some of you, to please don't use this as a Twitter quote and use it out of context, but some of you need to start having sex. Now, please make sure you're putting yourself in the right category of people, otherwise we're going to be writing some complicated letter letters to the church <laughs> in Manchester 
rather than at Corinth, but oh, how you're going to enjoy your conversation over lunch today. So what was the talk about? Uh, anyway, listen, it says this, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The alarm bell that often rings for Steph and, I up, Steph and I when we end up in some of these relatively delicate conversations is that sometimes married couples are not having sex. The enemy will come for it. There are often many reasons why people are not, and I realize I'm oversimplifying this passage because of time, and there's much more we could talk into. But those things need working through and resolving. You should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Almost everything in our culture is reversing, sorry, is rehearsing the conviction that relationships can and should be powered by romantic feelings and sexual experience. And therefore, if our mood changes or our sex lives become less than the thing that we wanted, it's time to ditch the marriage. After, or why, why settle for less? You know, we come to this crossroads of choice and choice beckons. One's emotional intuition becomes the director of truth in our lives. Surely, within the context of following Jesus, we live to a different script. Yet we have to be so careful because the social environment that surrounds us provides the moral wallpaper so often for our lives. Even beyond the concept of sex, let me say this about marriage. Marriage itself is often perceived as solely for the benefit of the individuals and their lives rather than existing for the sake of the church and its witness to the world. It's no wonder then that sometimes Christian relationships are not clearly distinguishable from the culture and the wider culture surrounding us. How are you using your marriage for the benefit of the church to enhance and to foster hospitality, community, and raise the spiritual temperature and to disciple the people around you? I realize I've, slide, I've, I've, I've slightly strayed from where I was going, but it's worth pondering, and I think you can pull it from the text. Let me just come back to this, though, for all of you. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Other versions say, guard your affections. If we fail to guard our affections, then our infatuation can become distorted and attached to the wrong person. We've got to exercise caution and discernment in weighing our affections for someone before feelings become fully engaged and end up in the wrong place. Run from sexual sin. Those, those of you who, just for a moment, and I can understand it, would be thinking, well, all this, all this sex talk has nothing to do with me. Let me just read to you Matthew 5.27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you 
to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to come to better for you to lose one part of your body for than your than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Run from sexual sin. Get porn, get lust, get whatever it is out of your life because it's going to rob you. If you're flirting with some stuff, if you're flirting with the, the wrong people, the wrong relationships, some stuff online, some texting, some working away, letting just a look or a glance linger, some stuff in your mind and just harboring and hanging on to those thoughts, I just want to say this to you, run from sexual sin. You got ju Don't just learn to run, but put some boundaries and some stuff in place that's going to cause you to be nowhere near it in the first place. But whenever you come near it, and trust me, you will come near it because that's the culture we're in. I don't know if you've noticed. Instagram, uh, Instagram you don't even have to search for stuff. It just somehow is there. It's just that's the way the world is now working. Run from it. Chapter 7, verse 29. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who bring things, sorry, buy things, should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached for them, for this world as we know it will soon pass. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has been married, uh, sorry, who has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Wow. Let, let me just say that again. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. He's a good father. I, I am glad that he's... I don't think overprotective is even the right word, if I'm honest. I'm glad that he just loves me and he wants the best for me. Matthew 6, verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I'm not saying this. Sorry, I am saying this for your benefit. Not to place restriction on you. I want to help you do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible whatever season of life you're in right now whether single engaged married separated whatever it might be what what are the what are the things that will help you serve the lord the best with as few distractions as possible what what's the distraction that's going to be different for all of us but what is it and what are you going to do about it for some of you, it's going to be pain. For some of you, it's going to be the victim mentality. For some of you, it's going to be laziness. For some of you, it'll be lack of generosity or selfishness. What, what is it? We've, we've all got those things. You, then can I just remind you of the second story that I told you? The couple that got caught up in some stuff that chose to start living differently. I love that story. It reminds me so much of the prodigal son. I just sit there and remember 
the love, the kindness, and the generosity of the Father waiting for them to come to their senses. If some of you feel condemned or in pain or there's, there's shame this morning, man alive, that's not what comes when the Father comes. When he comes in his fullness and the Holy Spirit lands on us, it's not shame and guilt, it's release and freedom. If you're caught up in some stuff, I want to say it's time to, to hand it over to Jesus. This isn't about shame and condemnation. This is sometimes about having a conversation that releases life. A dear friend of me who leads another vineyard texted me this week and he said this. He said, hey mate, I've just seen that you're preaching a new series, Hard Conversations, to release life. I don't know how you read this, but he said, woof. Now there's a way to start the new year. God bless you guys. I was just reading this in John 15 verse 2 and I thought of you. He prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops. Come Holy Spirit on everything planned for Manchester Vineyard in 2020. Sometimes we need pruning to allow fruit and to allow more fruit. I, I look back at times in my life, okay, monkey ball banana mania would be one of them. Man alive if I'd have given some of that time to the local church to serve in the compassion ministries. If I just added up the amount of time I wasted on that. I'm not saying don't have fun and don't enjoy your life. I did enjoy it. But the amount of time I gave it. We're called to so much more. So much more. Aside from all of that, I always want to say to people, and I want to say to a number of you, and I think this will be relevant, one of the best ways you can run from sin, not just sexual sin, but to run from sin, one of the best things you can do is run as hard and as far as fast the other way you can into the plans and purposes of God. Don't give yourself time to be sat alone looking at stuff on your phone or whatever it is, comparison, porn, wherever that lands you. Don't allow yourself to slip into being talked to as though you belong to this world or were infants in the Christian life that you could only be fed with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Run fully into the plans and the purposes of God for your life and be ready for something stronger. What are, what are the things that are going to best help you serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible? Because you don't, you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a high price, so you should honor God with your body. That's what the passage says. Why don't we, why don't we stand together and make some space for the Lord? Steph, will you join us?